Welcome back to part three of our AP World History podcast and our look at chapter 13 from the Strayer book. Uh, we will be trying to combine our last two sections uh, that I was originally thinking, uh, looking at Siberia and the Russian Empire and uh, the other Eurasian empires at this time. So we're going to try to combine those. Uh, we're going to start looking here at Russia. And um, the big thing is... Uh, you got to remember at this time, uh, Russia is not united. It's not what it is today. If you look on the map, it's not that big. Uh, it's really just centered around the city of Moscow uh, and sometimes it's known as the Muscovite Empire. Um, and uh, it really wasn't much. And the only thing that really put it on the map was they were the ones that kicked out the Golden Horde. So they were kind of praised for that and that put them in a prominent position in Moscow uh, versus what the previous prominent position out of Kiev was um, before the Mongols came in and, and destroyed it. So, um, this is going to take about 300 years or so for the Russians to actually eventually get to that extent, to actually get to where they're controlling even Alaska. Um, so, it's going to take a while. And it's partially because of the terrain and the lack of resources and uh, just in general the, the kind of slow progress, that the, the slow methodical progress that Russians make. Um, and what they did is they would get... Um, they would go out and conquer and bring people in, uh, and they would get an oath from those tribes. And essentially, you got all, all these different tribes kind of spread throughout the uh, Siberia, um, kind of living independently. And the Russians would eventually progress to them, conquer them, and get them to support the Tsar, and uh, they would have to pay tribute to them. And then um, with that conquest, because these tribes were mostly isolated, at times you get... Uh, diseases flaring up and causing devastation, just like we saw in the Americas. Is it to the same extent? Uh, no, it's not going to be to the same extent with the damage, but it's still going to do, uh, it's going to severely impact the population. Um, this then allows the Russians to uh, settle in those regions, and when they settle in the regions, they're going to push Christianity on the people. They're going to move Muslims out of the way, force them more to the south, or force them into to less habitable regions. And um, at times they'll just go and slaughter them because they just, they just won't handle them. And, um, so the, the goal here though, with all this and pushing the Muslims out, converting them to Christianity is making the people that they've just conquered and incorporated into their new empire Russians. It's very similar to what we saw happen in China where they, uh, send the Han people out to the native Han people out to the new regions they conquer and make them very much Chinese. And, um, again, the big thing that kind of uh, pushes this spread uh, or this expansion of the empire is their, uh, the fur resources that are throughout Siberia. With it being a very cold area, you have a lot of furry animals, and the fur is a, a hot commodity at the time in Europe. Um, this empire was led by what was known as the Tsar, which is essentially kind of a king, uh, and it was looked at as uh, similar to... Um, well, it was the kind of looked at as the successor of the Eastern Roman Church uh, or Eastern Orthodox Church, um, sorry, with uh, being the successor of that with the Tsar being the leader of the Russian Orthodox Church as well as the political leader. So we kind of had that idea of Caesar Papism continuing. And uh, they're going to slowly gain territory going eastward, trying to extend to the Pacific, and they're also going to slowly start gaining uh, territory westward, um, and we're going to really start to see that sh starting to sh 
to take place later in this time period in the 1600s and especially in the early 1700s when we get people like Peter the Great coming in and Catherine the Great. Uh, and the reason why these two are known as the Greats and why they are so important to Western or to Roman history is because they westernize Russia, whereas most of the time throughout this time period they're looked at as backwards and, and the stronger European powers just steamroll them. Um, these two really revolutionize what's going on in Russia, make them modern, but uh, their successors don't always keep up with that. So we'll see kind of a, a trend in history throughout throughout this time period as they are and going all the way up into more modern times, they're always looked at as kind of backwards because they don't do everything like the Western Europeans do, even though they want to kind of be Western European. Um, so that's the the Russians in a nutshell. Uh, let's move on and start looking at some of those other Asian empires. A uh, big one. Uh, when we're talking about China, uh, we are looking at the Ming Dynasty here still, at least at the start of this uh, time frame. And so you have the Ming Dynasty, which is expanding primarily through uh, land uh, conquest, uh, going into Mongolia, parts of Manchuria, going all the way east to the Takamakan Desert, getting into parts of Tibet. Uh, we see them expanding that way. They had an opportunity to expand and become a maritime empire through, um, through trade or through conquests overseas, but they decided not to do that. Uh, after Zhang He did his great voyages, they retired him and they kind of stopped sailing around other than through trade. And after the uh, Ming Dynasty, you get the Qing Dynasty. They come about in 1644. So we're talking towards the end of this time frame, about 100 years left in this time frame, you start to see the Qing come about. Uh, and they are from Manchuria. They're not actually uh, Han Chinese. They're from the north. And uh, they uh, focused on expanding again, but not overseas. Uh, at this point, uh, you start to see the Europeans really encroaching on all that territory. And they're not looking to make conflict with them. And so you see them expand over land, conquering Tibet, Mongolia, again, towards the Taklamakan Desert, all the way in the west. And uh, they do some unique things to uh, kind of keep their, themselves in control. Uh, they try to be very, very Chinese, even at times being more Chinese than the Chinese are. They continue foot binding and other things like that. But they also forbid intermarriage between Manchurians and the Han to try to keep themselves as a separate group. Um, what else do we want to say with these guys? Uh, they will take out the Mongols. Again, I kind of mentioned that already. They conquer the Mongols and the Zhongnu and uh, Xianjiang. Uh, they, they conquer all these territories. And, and when you look at their empire, their empire looks very close to what you would say a modern China's, uh, modern China's borders look like, with the exception of Mongolia would not be part of it as, as well as some parts of Korea. So, um, they do that. Uh, at times, they uh, end up fighting with the Russians over territory as the Russians expand eastward. Uh, but they'll eventually um, kind of check each other uh, and come to an agreement uh, in with the uh, Treaty of Nerchinsk. And um, the reason why they're able to do this is because they, they're still very technologically advanced. Well, we're, they're not going to be as advanced as the Europeans will be when we're talking about in the in the 18th century, in the 19th century, after the Industrial Revolution. But at this time, they have one of the larger armies. They have one of the more technologically advanced armies, and so they can kind of uh, fight whoever they want and be able to, to do that. And um, the one difference, though, with this these expansions, especially when we're talking about Tibet and Mongolia, is 
the Qing don't directly send in those Han people to go and colonize it and make them Chinese. Uh, and this is why you see issues with Tibet and the east or the western regions of China and why Mongolia is separate today is because they don't force them to become Chinese and instead they're allowed to be able to maintain their individuality and you get a new bureaucracy or a new branch of the bureaucracy being set up known as the colonial affairs branch. Um, as well as they continue, as we've seen with almost all the dynasties, they continue the bureaucracy and all the uh, traditional stuff that's gone with that of following Confucianism and other things like that. So that's that's the Qing in a nutshell, and they're going to last up until the modern times in 1912, uh, and that's when we're going to see them uh, start to really kind of, this is going to be the base for the, the modern uh, state of China. Uh, then... Um, in India, uh, you have the Mughal Empire, which is uh, a Muslim empire that is controlling the primarily Hindu region. Uh, and that's going to last from 1526 to 1707. And after 1707, we're going to see the Europeans, primarily the British, come in and start to take over all that. Um, they conquered, uh, again, most of India. They, they had a similar expansion to the... Uh, Marians in that they conquered everything but the very southern tip. Um, so they conquer all of that with only about 20% of the population converting to Islam. 80% uh, then or somewhere near 80% is Hindu. Uh, but the reason why they're able to do this is because they allow Hindus to practice Hinduism. Whereas at other times in history, Muslims did not allow that. They tried to convert them. They realized that they're outnumbered. And so um, they allowed them to practice it. They helped create Hindu temples. Uh, and they tried to lessen inequalities between men and women, um, especially by trying to banish practice uh, practices of sati, which was a ritual suicide of wives, or um, child marriage, although they don't fully do this because they don't want to cause a huge uproar. Uh, we won't see that stuff really get stopped until we're talking about the uh, British coming in. Um, what else do we want to say about that? Uh, one other thing that we, you see them uh, allowing uh, or being more tolerant of religion, especially Hinduism, is that they do not tax the non-Muslims initially, uh, but we will eventually get um, a, a leader known as Arungzeb who's going to come in and really kind of just end the empire with uh, with his actions. Uh, he thinks he's going to purify the land and make it a stronger Muslim state. And instead, he just undermines everything that uh, his previous generations had done and uh, pretty much gets the Hindus to overthrow them, and uh, that allows the British to come in later on. But he uh, reverses the policy, in, implements the jizya, and makes them taxed. He completely bans sati and just rubs the people the wrong way and that allow that leads to them uh collapsing and uh so that's kind of the, the moogles in a nutshell we'll look at those some more as we're going through this time period they won't they won't go away um but uh they're there in india again showing kind of tolerance between the two fates and uh, again this is going to really set up the the british and they're um, allowing them to eventually conquer uh, India during their period of uh, period of modern colonization. Um, then the last one we need to talk about is the conflicts between Muslims and Christians at this time, uh, which we see with the Ottoman Empire. And as well, also remember the Ottoman Empire is also 
during this time, although I'm not going to talk about it too much here, uh, is also in conflict with the other um, Muslim empire, the Safavids out of Persia, uh, which uh, in that you have the Sunni in the Ottoman Empire fighting with the Shia in the Safavid Empire. But um, more focusing on the bigger conflict that we consistently see is the Ottomans uh, came in, took over uh, the Byzantine state in 1453 when they took out Constantinople or conquered Constantinople. They renamed it Istanbul, and that became their major capital, and they declared it, um, a, they made it uh, the seat of the sultan, uh, which was a warrior uh, prince, you could think of it as, as well as a caliph and a defender then of Islam. So um, that's what their leaders are known as, as the sultans, and um, you, you see a shift in culture with what happens then. So as soon as the Ottomans take over, they set up their government and they've fully uh, taken over the regions that the Byzantines used to control. You see them then force the typical uh, Muslim culture on the people uh, where women uh, lose rights because they got to wear the veils. Uh, they um, uh, have more protections on them. And um, the society has become more patriarchal than it was um, under the kind of Christian state on the Byzantines. Now, this is not to say the Byzantines were, were not patriarchal. They were still very patriarchal. They weren't matriarchal or anything like that. But we see more restrictions coming down, even though um, things were already unequal to begin with. However, uh, there are some exceptions to that. They, they could uh, appear in court. Uh, they did have some limited property rights, and they also had some legal protections, which was supposed to happen. So they're not completely put down. They're not like below human beings, but they aren't as as um, as valued as as men are, as is typical in a patriarchal society. Um, let's see. The couple other last things to know about. Um, about this uh one we didn't we haven't got to the conflicts yet so there's there's this constant kind of conflict one with the safavids over shia sunni divide but also with the europeans in that the ottomans want to consistently try to make their way into europe and take over eastern europe uh, we see them take over greece and parts of the balkans which is the region just above greece and they always want to try to make their way into austria and so you see them repeatedly try to take the city of vienna but um, they never successfully do. Uh, the Europeans in the east are able to unite uh, on those occasions, and the weather and other things are able to fight against the Ottomans in being able to do that. But um, they never fully, uh, or they never realize their goal of taking it over. Um, um, what else? That's, that's kind of the big conflict we see them fighting with there. Um, we don't see much outside of that, but just there's a repeatedly uh, repeated attempts at the Ottomans trying to assault and in um, take over parts of Eastern Europe. Um, yeah. So then the last thing to talk about um, with this, within their territories that they took over, especially in the Balkans and in Greece, you have large Christian populations, and you had this in Constantinople at the time, and and in other areas where they're Christian. A lot of people will convert to Islam, as we saw, because they don't want to pay the extra taxes, and as well, they see that this is now the dominant faith, so I want to be on that side of things. 
however, there are still distinct Christian groups that remain, especially in the Balkans. And so uh, what happens is, uh, as a special tax, in addition to kind of the jizya, you have something known as the devshirmi. Um, I don't know if I'm saying that right. I apologize if I'm not. Uh, but essentially what this means is, or what this does, is that if you're a Christian, you're going to have to give one of your boys, if you have a male uh, heir, to the Turkish government to become a janissary or bureaucrat. So this helps fill their um, ranks with professional bureaucrats, but also it helps uh, fill the ranks with professional soldiers in that these uh, young men or, or boys at the time are trained to be um, the strongest soldiers in the, in the lines. And uh, they help with administration and um, really help them become the dominant power they are and help them last all the way up till when they will, uh, which will be up until the end of World War I when the Ottoman Emperor will finally fall. So this is a, a constant fear of the Europeans, especially the Eastern Europeans since they're right next to it. Uh, but remember, this is also uh, this fear of the Muslims there, this strong empire there, uh, and where the Byzantines used to be is what pushes the Europeans then to go west instead of looking to go east because they didn't have the resources to be able to take on the Ottomans. We'll see this change when we get to our next um, our next unit in Unit 5 uh, after the Industrial Revolution. That all changes, but during this time, uh, again, the Europeans are too weak to actually take them on directly, and so they go westwards, uh, just like you see in the good old uh, Western movies, and uh, they go and take over the Americas. So that's chapter 13 in a nutshell. Um, next week, we'll be taking a look at chapter 14.